I'm Cameron Sparks. I'm the youth pastor here at Dallas Bible Church. Uh, I love the opportunity to get to preach. It's a joy and it's an honor. Uh, this is sort of unofficial National Youth Pastor Preach Day in the church. Uh, it's also one of the lowest attended church services of the year. It's weird how those two things go together, but uh, it truly is a joy and an honor. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful gift that Aaron lets us be up here and lets us preach and shares the pulpit. It's also an exciting week because we are looking ahead toward the new year. And not just a new year, but a new decade. So kind of an exciting thing and also maybe a little bit of a scary thing. There's a lot of unknowns. The world at large is, there's a lot of unrest. Uh, maybe there's unrest even just in your own family or in your own personal life. And this morning I want to talk about the courage that we have in the Lord to face fear and overcome it. And real, genuine fear is not a fun thing. So some of us may enjoy fear in controlled environments. You know, maybe you're a horror movie fan. I'm not going to admit on stage that I'm a horror movie fan, right? Maybe you like to scare people. That's definitely me. I mean, I got to be honest, like right off the bat as we're talking about fear, I love fear when I'm inflicting it on others, um, and that's something that I've done all my life. You know, I had to stop scaring my wife because when I did, she became more scary than I could ever be. And I genuinely feared for my life. So I stopped doing that. I'm a bit out of practice. But I was best at it when I was a kid. I just loved to, you know, hide and jump out and scare people. And I think I was, one reason I was so good at it was because I was tiny. I mean, I was so skinny that I could hide behind like a drinking straw. And so, you know, I used that to my advantage whenever I could. I just had like a radar for this kind of thing. Like I remember one time uh, I, I realized that my sister was going to, my older sister was going to be heading up to her room. And so I beat her there and um, looked around and just quickly hid myself underneath her made-up bed. So I climbed into her bed and like rearranged the pillows up around me. And this is how small I was. I was so flat you couldn't see me. And so she comes in and like you might be thinking, you know, I jumped out and scared her, but I had evolved past that. I was into like avant-garde scaring. So what I did was I like gave her a minute or two to sort of get comfortable in the room. And then I just raised up without saying anything. And eventually she saw me screamed bloody murder, right? And like if you're a troll, if you're someone who likes to play pranks on people, you know you've done a good job when they're just screaming your name like a curse word, right? Like, Cameron, Cameron, are you kidding me, Cameron? Right? And so I'm just, you know, on the bed dying laughing and then seconds later almost actually dying as she's attacking me. Uh, it's good memories. But fear is a part of every day of our life. So every transition that we go through, right, there's going to be fear involved. It could be graduation. It could be jobs, getting a new job. It could be getting married, right, having kids. Um, who remembers the fear of being in middle school or that transition from middle school to high school? That's one that's near and dear to my heart as a youth pastor. I mean, almost everything about middle school is scary, right? Like acne, you know? What, there's no clearer example that the fall truly happened than acne, right? How, ter how terrifying is it to, to be in middle school? So it's no surprise that fear is something the Bible talks about a lot. Do not be afraid is the most common command in the Bible. It said, 366 times. So what do we do with all this fear? I want 2020 to be a year that we all grow in courage. Let's talk about 
how that happens. Our text this morning, we're going to be in Joshua 5. I'll give you a second to turn there, and while you're doing that, I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, leading up to this point, the, Israels have been, the Israelites have been promised the promised land by God. That's why it's called the promised land. See how that works? That's all I got for you this morning. Let's pray. Now, uh, Deuteronomy 1, verses 28 through 32, they actually detail uh, how the Israelites send spies into the promised land, and they come back and they say it's filled with huge warriors, massive cities, Okay, and so the Israelites are so afraid, they lose faith in God, they disobey him, and it costs an entire generation the chance to inherit the land. So let's dive in, starting in verse 13 of chapter 5. We're going to see how Joshua has courage that the older generations did not. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So right off the bat, we see that Joshua is not without fear. I think you could make the argument that he's actually terrified here. I mean, can you imagine meeting the commander of the Lord's army? And what does he do when he meets them? He hits the ground. So Joshua is not just this like fearless warrior. That's not the key to his courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. We actually see three times in the first nine verses of the book of Joshua, courage is something that God commands of his people. So courage is not the absence of fear, and it's also not some just passive emotion that we hope to experience. And it's not a characteristic that you have to be born with. Courage is something God actually commands of his people. So what is it exactly? Let's keep reading. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day... March around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So suffice it to say that God's plan is crazy. Right? Like not only is this city and its warriors huge, God says walk right up to the walls of the city, okay, with your unarmed priests, who, by the way, they don't get weapons, they get instruments, and then just march around it. So basically, like, make yourself as easy of a target as you possibly can. Okay, this is like Jason Garrett telling Dak Prescott, hey, I've got the perfect play for you. Here's what we're going to do. Okay, you're going to say, hut, 
And that's going to be the cue for the linemen to stand up and just start singing. It's going to work out great, trust me. Right? Like it would be hard for Dak Prescott to hear that from Jason Garrett. Not just because it's Jason Garrett, but because it's a bad play. Right? Imagine being Joshua and having to relay this game plan to everyone. It would probably be pretty terrifying to all involved. So what happens? On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Even though God's commands seem absurd, and they put not only Joshua, but all of Israel directly in harm's way, still Joshua obeys God. Because disobeying God is more scary to Joshua than death. So Joshua's courage comes from fearing the Lord above all else. And for us, thinking about growing in courage this morning, what this means is we are at our most courageous when we fear the Lord above all else. So this is our focus this morning. How do we fear the Lord above all else? What does that look like? How does that grow our courage? And first we have to talk about what we mean by fearing the Lord. You may have heard it said that to fear the Lord is to revere him. Right? To revere him means uh, to have a ton of respect for him. If we wanted to make it sound bible we could say it's attributing all glory and honor to God. That's what it means to revere him. And I think to fear the Lord, part of what that means is to revere him, but it's more than that. And we have to look at what's going on under the surface, I think, when we are afraid. Okay, so when we're overcome by fear. We get scared because we're limited. We don't have all the answers. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't impose our will on our circumstances. We're limited in literally every way. We're limited in time. We're limited in power. We're limited in knowledge. We're limited in ability and understanding. So our fear resides in our limitations. And that's what we see with Israel. They're terrified because the people in the promised land have huge cities and huge walls, and they don't. So they are limited in comparison, and that scares them, and they disobey God. Our fear resides in our limitations. And because we are limited, our fear is caused by our circumstances. So when I was a freshman in college, I got accepted into this organization that I was really excited to be in at A&M. It was actually the whole reason I went to A&M was to be in this group. And I got in and I was just so stoked. And I remember going to our first meeting, we had to wear ties and khakis. And uh, so we're, we're walking in and it's this big, huge classroom and it's got this like big descent to it. So like the top is the highest part and there's chairs all the way down to the bottom floor uh, where the, like the teacher would stand and there's a huge big projector screen. And like all of the actives, those were the people that were in the group. We were called candidates and they were actives. And all the actives were sitting at the very top. And as we come in, they're like booing us. And they're like, 
they make us like move all the way into the very bottom and sit as far apart from them as possible. And I'm like, what is happening right now? What is going on? This guy comes out and he, he's like, I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about these candidates who think they're worthy of being in this group. I'm just going to show you a little bit more about them. And then he clicks a button on the keyboard and up on the projector pops a picture of me. Okay, and this is a picture of me in a dress. Okay, with a couple other friends, we'll call them kilts. It was a part of our spirit week at Cambridge, which is the high school I went to. It was a part of homecoming week. So like the seniors would swap uniforms one day. So the girls would come with our ties and our jackets and our khakis, and we would wear like kilts, dresses, and white button downs. And so it was a fun, fun time at Cambridge. Like I wasn't worried or scared about it at all. It was super fun, right? Uh, I was going to show you the picture, but Aaron told me that I would lose all credibility if I did so. So I can't show you the picture. But uh, all I can tell you is that, like, first of all, the picture went up, and you should have heard the reaction. Everyone was just like, oh, what's the boom? Oh, oh, oh. And I'm just like, I was like so confused and so terrified. I'm like, oh, they, they like brought me here just to like make sure I knew that I didn't make it in. Like I'm here just to be kicked out or something. Come to find out they had done like a deep dive on everyone's Facebook and they had like funny slash embarrassing things to say about everyone there. But I had no idea. And so just this picture terrified me in that situation. So in one set of circumstances, wearing this actual outfit, I'm having a lot of fun. And in another set of circumstances, just the picture of it terrifies me. And what's the point? Our circumstances cause our fear. And it may not even be actual circumstances. It could just be possible circumstances that we're thinking about, things that might happen, things that could happen that cause fear. And the last thing I want to point out, our fear shows us what we really care about. So the reason I got so afraid with the, these guys in this classroom seeing this picture is because I really wanted them to like me. I wanted to be accepted. And you have to dive deep deeper than just the surface level, to see what your fear is showing you about what you care about. So maybe uh, you act a certain way around one group of people, like at church or around your family, and you act a different way around another group of people. Or maybe uh, there are certain people that you don't share your opinions with, you don't tell them everything you're thinking because you're worried about what they might think. Have you ever stayed up late thinking about an embarrassing thing that you did? You know, whether it was something you did embarrassing yesterday or a month ago or 10 years ago, right? This is a common fear for many. What's really going on under the surface is that we're afraid of tarnishing our own glory. We're afraid of hurting our image because many of us care very deeply about what others think. So our fear shows us what we really care about. And if we combine these three ideas, so our fear shows us what we really care about, and then our fear resides in our limitations, and it's caused by our circumstances, our fear is showing us that what we really care about is ourselves. When we are overcome by fear, we are putting ourselves first. When I am at the center of my world... And when things attack me, when things challenge me, when things come after me, that's when I get scared. And I want to say this is natural. Right? This makes sense, at least to the world. This is what 
the world would say is wise. Like you should care most of all about yourself. You should be looking after yourself most of all. That's what the world would say. That's how we see the Israelites acting. But that's not how Joshua acts. Remember, disobeying God is more scary to Joshua than death. And that's because God is even more important to Joshua than himself. So fear is rooted in our limitation, our limited knowledge, our limited understanding. Here's what Joshua does. He takes his limited self out of the center of his world and of his life, and he puts God there. So his courage comes from a source that is not limited like him, but unlimited. A source that's not bound by his circumstances, but over them. Fearing the Lord means putting God first above all else, even ourselves. And when we put him first and we trust and obey him, even when what he wants doesn't make sense to us, we're relying on a source that is not limited like we are, but unlimited. Not trapped in our circumstances like we are, but over them. God has promised to deliver us just like he delivered the Israelites. And I saw this firsthand in my mom's battle with brain cancer. And I can't even begin to imagine how scary it was for her personally to see her faculties, her thinking, her comprehension, her abilities diminish before her very eyes, even her sight. But she never let it overcome her. And she cared more about Jesus even than she did about her own life. So it gave her a peace. I witnessed personally the miracle that is the peace that the Holy Spirit delivers us that surpasses understanding, that transcends circumstances. I saw that firsthand in my mom. Because she trusted God more than she even trusted her own self. She trusted his plan even more than her own plan, even though things were not going the way she would want. And watching the way that she died with so much contentment and peace and trust in the Lord, she's left me able to trust God more too. And Jesus calls us to this way of living. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. We are called to remove ourselves from the center of our world and to put God there. So what exactly does that look like in life? To answer that, I'd like to call your attention to our church values. These are on our website. You can access them very easily. They're all about putting God before ourselves. So the first one, God's fame, not our own. I mean, this is my favorite one. I got to be honest. I probably shouldn't say that. But this is my favorite one by far. I think, it, I think it summarizes all of them, right? It's saying we put God before ourselves. Inspired truth, not shifting opinion. So we're holding to God's word over and above what might be culturally sexy to say or to do. Global mission, not personal comfort. Putting God's mission before even our own comfort. Doing what's 
hard, doing what he's called us to do, preaching the gospel, making disciples, discipling others, serving, doing those things instead of what's easy, instead of what's convenient. Dependent prayer, not self-sufficiency. It's so ironic to me that this is actually one of the hardest things for us to do. It's so hard for us to depend on someone else. We want to depend on ourselves. This is about your posture toward all of life, right? Dependent prayer, relying on God, trusting in him, not yourself. This is what the older generation of Israelites got wrong. And this is what Joshua gets right. He trusts the Lord. He depends on him above himself. Intentional relationships, not passive familiarity. So again, not what might be easy for us, not what might be convenient, not what might be normal to culture or what's like supposed to be appropriate, going beyond that level, having intentional, sincere, authentic relationships, sharing our fears, sharing our weaknesses, sharing our sin with one another, living in actual authentic communion as the body of believers. Lastly, authentic worship, not empty religiosity. So worshiping not by what's popular or what gets touted and praised publicly, but worshiping the way God deserves. And the only way we can practice authentic worship is to know God authentically. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. Living out these things is putting God first, before ourselves, before our own comfort, before what's easy, what we want, what we'd like. What's culturally acceptable? If we practice these things as a church body, we will be doing courageous, life-transforming things, not just in Dallas, but all around the world. We will be attractive to people looking for real relationships and truth and courage to face their fears. And scripture tells us that living this way will also mean eternal success for us. That's according to God's promises to us. But it will also mean temporary persecution and likely even suffering. So God's recap, once he's allowed and enabled the Israelites to fill the promised land, he tells them this in Joshua 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Putting God first, fearing God, means being willing to resist the culture around us. Just like the Israelites, the march that God is calling us to march is way different from the way that the world is marching. Paul says that the cross is folly. To those not called by God. So many are going to look at you and what you believe and think that it's foolish. You're going to say, hold on, you want to put God, you want to put God first even before your own personal safety? You want to put God first even before the safety of your family? That seems dumb. Are we willing to be labeled as fools? We have to be more concerned with what God thinks and what God wants even than with what we think and what we want, even than with what those around us think and want. Marching into battle with trumpets is certainly foolish by the world's standards, but Joshua trusts God 
and God gives them victory. The more we place God at the center of our worldview, the less we will care, the less we will be disrupted by our immediate circumstances. The easier it becomes to have the courage to face what's in front of us. So the second way, this is the last way we're going to talk about growing in our fear of the Lord, is by knowing him better. To know the Lord is to fear him. And these two things work together, knowing him and putting him first. We won't want to put him first if we don't truly know him. Uh, that same group that I was telling you guys about at A&M, there was one uh, super fun slash super scary night as a candidate where as a candidate, you get a big brother in the group. So this is a guy who's looking after you. He's checking in on you. You know, you're closer with him than any other guys. The big brothers actually choose their little brother. And so there's one night towards the end of candidacy where they take you out and uh, they blindfold you, okay? So you really have no idea what's going on. They take you out to this big barn, okay? And I just remember they like tore all of our blindfolds off at the same time and there's like this barn lit with like strobe lights and like all of the actives are there and they're like shouting and screaming. A lot of them have like their shirts off and I'm just like, what is happening? Like, this is how I die. Like, this is a, some sort of cult sacrifice here. Like, what are we doing? Right? Come to find out, it's actually a super fun night. It's not about hazing or anything like that at all. What they would do is they would circle up and then the big brother would wrestle his little brother in front of the whole group. Okay, and then like whoever won, you just move on to the next. And that was the night, and it was super fun. But the goal is for the actives to win more than the candidates, right? That's why they set it up the way they set it up. Like, you're, you're terrified as a candidate. As an active, this is a night that you're, like, anticipating. You're, like, excited for it. You can't wait for it. You're looking forward to it, right? So you get that natural advantage, and that was on purpose. You want the actives to win. And I remember my junior year when I'm an active, uh, there was a candidate who was also a junior in the group. And he was a middle linebacker for Texas A&M. And he was a second string middle linebacker. His name was Ryan Steinbrunner. I probably shouldn't say his name, but his, his name just matches who he was. Like Steinbrunner. He was just this massive man. He was like 6'2", absolutely jacked, right? And so we're just like, you know, his big brother was actually also on the football team, but he wasn't going to be there that night. So we're like, who is going to wrestle Ryan? How is this going to work, Right? So I go, I guess we'll figure it out when we get there. So sure enough, night starts. And like, I just happened to notice like early on, like uh, kind of terrifyingly so, Ryan also has his shirt off. He's like yelling louder than most of the actives. Like he's enjoying this more than anyone. I'm just like, this does not bode well. All right, so it's his turn. He comes out. And like, who comes out for the actives? Oh, it's my buddy named Tim. And Tim's shorter than I am. He's a stocky guy. But he would just be like the last guy I would have picked to face Ryan. He's a, he's a super humble guy. He's a super quiet guy. Uh, and he was actually my Bible study leader. He was a mentor of mine. And so I'm just like, hey, this is like what, like, your funeral, bro. Like, what are, we, what are we doing here, right? So anyways, they line up. What they'd have them do is they'd get like a couple steps apart from each other. They'd say, one, two, three, go. And they'd run at each other and wrestle. And so they do that and they say, go. And sure enough, Ryan just hits Tim like about waist high and just starts like, pile driving him backwards like straight to the edge of the circle like Ryan like Tim's not even there okay and as he gets right to the edge Tim plants his foot clasps his arms around Ryan 
lifts him up off the ground. His feet go completely vertical. He turns and just body slams him into the floor of the barn. And everyone went nuts. It was incredible. Okay, still one of the most amazing things I've ever witnessed to this day. The air totally went out of all the candidates. You know, it was like seeing David conquer Goliath, right? After that day, like what I didn't know, Tim was a state champion wrestler for Lake Highlands. And once I knew that about Tim, once I had seen him do this thing, I looked at him differently from then on. So he was still a quiet guy, but I knew that he was this, you know, quiet guy who was secretly harboring Hulk-like strength in his body. And like, you know, if you got in an argument after that with Tim, you let Tim win, you know. Or like, I remember, you know, knowing this about Tim, walking late at night with him, like, you're not afraid. You're kind of like hoping someone tries to jump you. You're like, I'd like to see that. And church, knowing God will literally give you power. There are thousands of examples in God's word of his strength, of his power, of his character, the incredible things that he has done and is doing, things that I haven't even begun to tap into, right? Things that Aaron can still tap into, things that the wisest man and the wisest woman on earth can still glean from. Learning more and more about them will shape and hone the way we see God and the way we live life in him. To know the Lord is to fear him because he is God. Right? He is invincible, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. To him, a thousand years is as one day and one day is as a thousand years. He's the creator of all life. He knows every word that would come from your tongue before you even say it. He discerns all your thoughts. I mean, if that's not a little bit scary to you this morning, then you're someone who's been blessed with a brain without thoughts. Okay? I'm not sure that's a blessing, but we know these things about him through his word. Growing in our fear of him means knowing more and more about how great and powerful he is. The more you know him, the more you will be willing to put him first. Trust him even above yourself. The greater your courage in him will be. But it's not just about knowledge. So early on in the story that we're in this morning, learning about God, he tells the Israelites, be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Knowing God means obeying him. Part of knowing him through his word means you're going to learn the things that he loves and the things that he hates. And if you truly know him, you will have a healthy fear of him. And if you have a healthy fear of him, you will want to obey him. You won't obey God if you don't fear him. If you find yourself stuck in a recurring sin, maybe it's anger, maybe it's over drinking, maybe it's lust, 
It could be hard for you to kick that sin, to obey God, because you don't really fear him. And you don't really fear him because you don't really know him. One prayer to regularly repeat if that's you and you're stuck in a recurring sin is, Lord, help me to fear you rightly. Okay, lastly, knowing him means believing in his victory. Our God, who fought for the Israelites and won for them, fights for you and fights for me, and he wins. That older generation was so overcome by fear because they had too much of themselves in mind, right? The new generation believes God. They obey him even though it's scary, even though it doesn't make sense. They trust Joshua who obeys God. They trust Joshua who is leading them. And God delivers on his promises to them. The text says, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. The most amazing and the most important thing about this story that I can tell you this morning, the most important way we can grow in our courage is to know that God has made these same promises that he made to Israel, to you and to me. God has promised to deliver you from sin and death, from all that you would have to be afraid of. And the realization of that promise is in Jesus. God has sent us our own Joshua who delivers us from sin and from judgment into a new promised land, a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus' blood is the ink God uses to write these promises to you. And all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus and trust him to deliver on those promises. Jesus is the infinitely greater Joshua. And so if you put your faith in him, the reward we have in him will be infinitely greater too. Which also helps us know that courage is not just for courage's sake. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that my mom has been rewarded for the way that she faced her brain cancer and died glorifying the Lord with her last breath. Paul says, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So your courage will be rewarded. Maybe it's trusting the Lord through a, a really difficult diagnosis or the diagnosis of a loved one. Maybe it's being willing to sing his praises and glorify him when things in life aren't going your way. Or maybe it's sharing your faith with someone in your office. Maybe it's just praying for your family over a meal when you're in public. Your courage will be rewarded. Next time you're afraid, remember whose army you're enlisted in. Paul tells Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Ask the Lord for the courage to trust his plan, to trust what he's doing even more than your plan or what you might want to happen. Ask the Lord to help you see your fears as just that, yours, not God's.
God is over them and he has you. Whatever fear you're facing, remember you're not alone. Even in death, our God knows our experience. He himself personally experienced it. Victory came for the Israelites, and it's coming to me and to you if you are in Jesus. So this new year, are you willing to pick up your trumpet and march?